Welcome to the AWP podcast series. This event was recorded at the 2017 AWP conference in Washington, D.C. The recording features Steve Holly, Holmes Trollstrup, Beth Staples, Meg Reed, and Kate McMullen. You will now hear Steve Holly provide introductions. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, the, the few, the brave, for, for coming out to our first session on Friday morning. This is a award-winning professional publications with pre-professional staff, mentorship in applied learning and literary publishing. Um, we're bringing together two uh, unique organizations, the Publishing Laboratory from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and the Publications Unit from Illinois State University. Um, and we're going to talk about um, uh, our applied learning techniques that we use with students to produce professional literary publications. We have a variety of stakeholders on the panel. Um, we have uh, professional staff from both organizations, also uh, current and former students, who are all going to talk about how um, the publications unit and PubLab, Publishing Lab, have uh, shaped their learning and their careers. So I'm going to start by uh, giving a little bit of a overview of where this panel started at, then I'm going to say everyone's bios, then the publications unit is going to present, then the pub lab will present, and then we're going to have plenty of time for questions. So I hope you brought a lot of questions, or else I know we have questions for each other. So. <laughs> um, well, first of all, this, this panel, like I'm sure many others at AWP, were, uh, was born out of discontent with another panel that I attended on uh, internships, and it was right after I started at the publications unit. And, you know, I was really hoping to learn more about how to um, educate interns. And the panel, the gist of the panel was more or less, uh, we have interns and so should you. And it, it didn't offer very much by way of uh, techniques for working with interns. And so that's what we're really hoping to offer on this panel today. Um, so our panelists are Steve Holly, that's me. I'm the director of the publications unit at Illinois State University. Uh, Holmes Trollstrup, who's the assistant director of the publications unit at ISU. Um, she's published a book of poetry within Mutiny, and it was selected as one of the wardrobe's best dressed by Sundress Publications. And Holmes teaches intro to professional publishing and edits uh, the Chapbook Press, Press 254. And then also Tessie Ward is here, who is a Sutherland Fellow in Poetry at ISU, and she is a second year master's student about to complete her degree. And then from the Pub Lab, uh, Emily Louise Smith who is suffering from laryngitis and will not, will not be on the panel. She's the co-founder and publisher of Lookout Books and its sister magazine, Ecotone. She teaches publishing arts and directs the publishing laboratory at UNCW. Uh, her writing appears in Boulevard, Best New Poets, The Southern Review, and Literary Publishing in the 21st Century. And then Beth Staples is on the panel, the assistant director of the Pub Lab, um, and she'll be filling in for Emily Louise Smith or, I don't know, Yes, that works. Okay. Meg Reed is also on the panel. She's an editor and nonfiction writer. Her essays have appeared in Chautauqua and Matter Journal and online for Diagram, the Oxford American, Fringe, and The Rumpus. She's the deputy director of Hub City Press in Spartansburg, South Carolina. And Kate A. McMullen, who is a third-year fiction candidate in the UNCW MFA program. She's the 2015 winner of the Colbert Chatbook Award for the Girls of Indigo Flats and Other Stories. And Kate interns with Lookout Books, UNCW's literary imprint, 
and she serves as social media editor and works in book design. So it's um, my job then to give an overview of the Publications Unit and its students. So the Publications Unit is part of the English department at ISU, and that's one of the things that makes it unique. Um, you know, it's not a university press, um, so it has a specific focus for its publications. We have literary and scholarly publications. Um, it was founded in 1991. Uh, the services that we offer for publications include editorial, production, marketing, and distribution services. Um, our staffing includes two permanent staff, both of whom are here today, um, a 12-month director and then a nine-month assistant director. Uh, during the academic year, fall and spring, we have two graduate assistants who are Sutherland Fellows, um, typically Sutherland Fellows in creative writing, and these are MA students in creative writing. Typically, one prose and one poetry is assigned each year. Sometimes there's only one assigned, and, and then there's another graduate student that is selected to um, take the place of a Sutherland Fellow. And so the Sutherland Fellowship is uh, for creative writing master students. It includes a year's assignment at the Publications Unit, and then also uh, a year of teaching introduction to creative writing. So it's a really um, innovative and unique program, especially for the MA level, since our uh, program has a PhD in creative writing, but not an MFA. And then we also, at any given time, have three to four undergraduate interns, and we have interns year-round. Um, and these are publishing studies students, so our department has a publishing studies sequence to its English studies major. Um, and part of the sequence is for students to get two semesters of practical credit for their work. And the publications unit is one of many sites that students can choose to uh, get that practical credit. And undergraduate interns apply and are hired into the publications unit for two semesters. So it's a professional interview. Um, it can include uh, you know, practical exercises in layout and proofreading uh, before they're hired on. And so some of the um, affiliated literary publications that we work with, um, and you can check out Obsidian and SRPR at Book Fair Table 244T after the panel today. So we have Obsidian Literature and Arts in the African Diaspora, which uh, transitioned to ISU from North Carolina State University in 2015. It's edited by a creative writing faculty member, Duriel Harris, and it's uh, had over 40 years of continuous publication. It publishes uh, fiction, poetry, drama, um, and also has an online presence to publish media writing from writers in the African Diaspora, as well as scholarship about African Diaspora writing. And the new issue for um, Obsidian is Speculating Futures, Black Imagination in the Arts, uh, which just came out and is premiering at AWP. We also work with SRPR, Spoon River Poetry Review, which has an affiliation to ISU that predates the founding of the publications unit. It publishes two issues a year, uh, poetry, also a has an Illinois feature poet section, and then also publishes a lengthy review essay where three to four books of contemporary poetry are reviewed. We also work with Fiction Collective 2. Uh, we do uh, book interior designs for Fiction Collective 2. 
Uh, it has a long history with ISU as well. Uh, the press was fully located at ISU in the 90s and then began to um, multiply its affiliations. And it's now an imprint of the University of Alabama Press, and its editorial work is handled through them. And book design and production is still at ISU. Then we also have two imprints that we work with, Downstate Legacies, which is a um, imprint that publishes Midwestern writers. It's very new. We've had one book out so far and another one coming out this spring. And then we also have, um, and it publishes fiction, poetry, and creative nonfiction. And we also have Press 254, which is a chapbook press and workshop that we use as a teaching press for English 254, which is our intro to professional publishing class. And that publishes uh, four books a year across the two sections of that course that Holmes and I instruct. <clears throat> and so we have several different affiliation types uh, with these publications. So uh, the number one is a service affiliation. So we work with organizations that have a historical or faculty-driven and or programmatic connection to the Department of English. And so we sort of work by extending the masthead in the areas that I talked about, editorial, uh, book design and production, marketing and distribution. Um, and serve multiple roles for the publications. We also have uh, freelance affiliations. Um, so the publications unit in these roles performs specific tasks for outside organizations, um, often for pay. Um, and the relationships include both one-off and ongoing projects. And then the newest form is an imprint. And these are um, organizations that the publications unit itself houses and then manages the organization entirely, where uh, Holmes and I are acting as uh, you know, editors and production directors. So the students that we have working at the unit, as Steve uh, mentioned, come primarily from two different areas. We have undergraduate interns who are majoring in publishing studies, um, and typically we have some experience with them because they've taken the Introduction to Professional Publishing course with Steve or myself. Um, and then we have this, the graduate level um, Sutherland Fellows, so they're studying creative writing at the master's level. Um, so the difference between those is that the undergraduate interns have applied for the internship, they've gone through a two-part interview um, before we've hired them, and the graduate assistants are assigned to the publications unit. So that means that students are coming to the unit um, with a, a pretty wide variety of skills and interests. Um, we might have uh, master's students that come to the publications unit that don't have any experience with any of the technology that we work on, um, and, and varied interests in publishing and production tasks. Um, but the internship is uh, set up to accommodate for that wide variety of skills and interests. Um, so we have it set up as, uh, it's two semesters. The first semester is spent a little bit more time one-on-one, -on -one, and the second semester, uh, the students are, uh, we're hoping that they'll take a little bit more ownership of the project. They have a little bit more independence um, in the tasks that they're completing <clears throat> because it's scaffolded um, in such a way. So we have Tessie Ward here, uh, who completed a year at the Publications Unit. She's the um, master's level Sutherland Fellow in Poetry at Illinois State University right now. So do you want to have anything to say maybe about coming into the Publications Unit without maybe knowing what, what it was about or the work that you would be doing? Um, thanks. Yeah, I think the thing that was most interesting about coming in is me and the other fellow who came in with me had completely different skills. 
Um, she had worked on a journal before. I had not. I had experience in graphic design. She did not. So between the two of us kind of trying to gauge what we wanted to grow better and what we wanted to learn more, um, it was great to come in and say, this is what I have. This is what I want to learn. This is what I need to learn. And kind of talking with Stephen Holmes, um, it made the whole year very, very wonderful to kind of take a skill and pick it and just watch it grow with you. Awesome. That's a winning endorsement if I've ever heard one. <laughs> um, so the way that we have their time actually set up at the publications unit, the students all um, have a 10-hour schedule. So they work 10 hours per week at, you know, sometimes very different schedules. Um, so we have one component every week. It's a weekly roundtable meeting. Um, and the students can expect to work, to devote probably about three hours. Um, so about 30% of their time uh, preparing for the roundtable meeting, um, and about you know two hours in the meeting. Um, so what they do in preparation, we have directed readings for them that focus on um, a lot of different topics related to publishing, independent publishing, independent presses, um, and and those weekly readings are different for the first semester of the internship or assistantship um, and, and different again in the second semester. <clears throat> so we get together at these roundtable meetings and we get to discuss those readings. Um, they get to ask questions, um, learn about things that they might not have uh, direct experience with uh, as their, you know, as part of their internship. So it's meant to kind of supplement um, the skills that we're teaching them and that they're, they're going to leave with. Um, other things that we do during our roundtable meeting are we practice professional communication. So we start with something very simple at the beginning of the semester. I'm sure Tessie remembers. Um, just working on a professional introduction. You know, how to introduce yourself in a professional situation in a clear and concise way. And we work through uh, different uh, levels of speaking professionally um, up to, you know, having them practice multi-part interview questions. So how would they talk about their experience at the publications unit? How would they uh, concisely describe what the, what the publications unit is um, to an interviewer and the work that they've done and the publications that they've worked on? Um, so uh, helping them build professional communication skills is, is something that we really value. <clears throat> and the, the other great thing about the roundtable meetings is that it's a time for us to help build camaraderie. Since the students are all working um, different schedules, um, it's a time for us to get together. They can update us on the work that they're doing. We can, you know, clarify any issues that maybe hadn't been clarified before. Um, and we can have a little bit of fun. So, I mean, did you have fun at roundtable? Yeah, roundtables are good. <laughs> No pressure answering that question in the right way. <laughs> so uh, we have to assign the students projects. And as Steve mentioned, we have a number of uh, different projects that we work on. Um, so we, you know, based on some skill assessments during orientation at the beginning of the semester, uh, Steve and I make kind of a rough schedule of where we think the students might fit, what project uh, they might uh, be the best to work on or where their skills might be best applied. Um, but we also give the students about a week in the beginning of the semester to 
um, review the publications, uh, to review the kind of work that they might be doing so that they can then advocate for uh, projects they'd really like to work on or skills that they're really keen to expand uh, where they might not have any experience uh, or where they have a lot of experience and they think that it would be best applied. Uh, so about a weekend, we have a full schedule, um, all of the project assignments, and, and the goal really is to give students um, <clears throat> a variety of different assignments over the course of the internship so that when they leave, they have a diverse portfolio of work, um, including uh, working on book layout projects, uh, journal layout projects, and uh, tabloid or newsletter layout projects. So they have a lot of different uh, experiences that they can draw on. Um, <clears throat> some of the, the broad categories of work that the students can expect uh, to take part in include editorial work, production work, mailing, filing, and correspondence work, um, marketing work, and project management and organization. Uh, and I think we have some of the specific tasks up there uh, that the students might take part in. And these are places where we are working, you know, typically one-on-one -on -one with the students um, <clears throat> in order to help them develop these skills. So editorial tasks might include things like cleaning and text preparation, uh, mechanical editing, uh, copy editing, proofreading, uh, comparing edits, and applying styles to the text. Uh, production tasks include things like updating a layout template, um, designing an interior layout, uh, typesetting and putting the text actually into layout, completing digital checks, uh, working on um, preparing and submitting Library of Congre Congress uh, cataloging and publishing data. Mailing, filing, and correspondence tasks include things like opening and filing submissions, hard copy submissions that we receive at the unit, updating subscriptions and mailing lists, um, <clears throat> creating packets of hard copy submissions for readers, especially for a Spooner Reportage Review, um, and of course the like all hands on deck physical mailing um, of publications, which I'm sure Tessie can attest to is so much fun. <laughs> Um, marketing uh, tasks might include creating professional advertising, uh, documents, event planning, basic social media outreach. And then project management and organization is something that we are working on really all throughout the process, um, helping students learn um, how to professionally deal with um, and manage and maintain print documents uh, that are going to be shared, of course, you know, with other students, shared with the editor, um, and it's important to keep those things organized, as we all know, um, and managing electronic documents um, and establishing and maintaining um, a, a file, an electronic file organization system. <clears throat> so that everyone has access to these um, files in a really easy way and attention to deadlines, so very important. <laughs> um, that's, it's kind of broad, but did you have anything to say about any of these specific tasks that you worked on? Or? Um, yeah. um, as Steve mentioned, one of the projects that we started last year was working with Downstate Legacies. Um, and I think overall, watching the projects that I did in first semester, I worked with Spoon River Poetry Review, um, SRPR, and I was taught a lot of skills and I had a nice guiding hand and it w I was encouraged to work on my own. And then in the second semester, when we worked on Bill Morgan's book with Downstate Legacies, 
everything was brand new. And it was new for me, it was new for Steve, it was new for Holmes, and it was nice because I kind of took the project on by myself, and then that's when I started to consider what I wanted in a layout, or what I wanted in font decisions, and those kinds of things were very tedious to me, but I realized a whole new level of things that I had yet to learn. So even though you learn one skill here, you kind of have to pick it up all over again on a new project. So now that you know a little bit about the work that we do, I'll talk a little bit about the uh, learning model that we apply. Um, and so all the different tasks that we talk about, um, this is the general learning model that we use for all of them. So this model is happening over and over again um, throughout the two semesters. And uh, you know the goal is to get all the way to step four uh, with the students, but it doesn't always happen that way because ultimately uh, Holmes and I are professionally responsible for the work that comes out of the unit. Um, and so we have to be responsible to all the stakeholders, which includes um, editors and of course readers who are going to be experiencing these publications. So. Our learning model basically breaks down as uh, we begin with discussion and contextualization of each step of the, the, the process, um, including an initial discussion of the project that a student's going to be assigned to. Uh, we look at publishing as being rooted in research. Um, so research is a huge component, you know, not just uh, knowing the genre of the publication, but also like the aspects of the publication. Um, working with um, interns and GAs to change the way that they are as readers uh, during the research uh, phase. The second step then is demonstration and modeling. Um, and this is a one-on-one -on -one task typically where we're working with students one-on-one -on -one to demonstrate the specific task um, that they're going to be working on. Uh, thirdly, we move on to direct observation of student performance. So this is also one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so we're going to be, you know, creepily uh, sitting behind students looking over their shoulder to make sure that they've uh, taken on um, the information about how to perform a specific task, but also to be there so that they have, if they have questions in the moment, um, if they, you know, miss out on a step, you know, we can uh, offer that subtle nudge uh, right in the moment or be there to answer that question. And then if everything's going well, we transition into uh, students working independently on a project. Uh, staff, of course, are still involved, but we have uh, indirect observation of performance. Uh, we offer, you know, feedback as best we can in the moment if, you know, if uh, things are going well or if things are going not so well. And then also, of course, doing quality control on the whole for the, um, that aspect of the, the project. And so uh, one area that I, I feel like it's easiest to talk about is uh, mechanical uh, editing. So we do text preparation or mechanical editing. Um, it's pretty uh, fundamental work for all the projects that we do. Um, each project has a specific protocol that we use. Um, and so we talk about the importance of mechanical editing to start with. Uh, for us, mechanical editing means taking the raw manuscript that editors or authors have submitted and um, doing some uh, checks in to the raw manuscript and doing some formatting and preparation to standardize it. Because I don't know about you, but everybody uses word processing programs in different ways. And there are certain things that we want to like, get rid of or standardize throughout manuscripts. And so this process, um, we've developed protocols for all the different publications in order to standardize them in, in a way that they will transition seamlessly from Microsoft Word um, into InDesign, which we use for page layouts. Uh, and so, you know, this, we talk about, you know, we have a similar discussion to this, except a little bit more in depth, where we talk about the importance of text preparation, um, you know, standardizing the manuscript to eliminate errors in the transition from Microsoft Word to InDesign. 
then we move on to you know working our way through the uh, publication specific protocol with the student talking about like each step that we do because there's a, a lot of different things like uh, switching out any tabs that might be in a document to true paragraph indents in Microsoft Word is a big one because I know all of you use tabs in your Microsoft Word documents so that's one thing that we'll be looking for um, and there's there's many others and we'll talk about um, the reasons why uh, each of those things is important when going through the protocol um, that we transition to watching the student work through the the protocol to make sure that they've got it down um, again they're we're available for questions in the moment or to offer corrections in the moment. And then um, typically, you know, we, since they have a protocol uh, checklist for text preparation, um, students can transition fairly easily to working independently on that. Um, and as long as they're <coughs> being consistent with working the protocol and being sure to check their work at the end, usually um, we can turn over um, text preparation work to them fairly quickly. So that's our, uh, a little overview of our applied learning model and just one area that we use. Again, we use it time and time again. So when we get into uh, page layouts and book design and typesetting, you know, the, the same model will apply again. Um, and even for things like mailing and, and marketing, if you can believe that. Uh, so, uh, you know, of course, one of the important things to provide for a learning experience for the students is uh, feedback. Uh, so we offer feedback in a couple of different ways to the students throughout the process. Um, <clears throat> we offer informal, um, at the, you know, in the moment reviews. So you know, especially during the observation um, of a task. You know, we'll try to uh, correct any errors that we see, you know, at, at that time and, and address it so that we can continue to move forward with the project instead of waiting always until uh, the end of a task or the end of a project and saying, well, next time, try to try to fix it. So we try to fix errors in the moment. Um, we also offer <clears throat> end of task feedback. Uh, so we, you know, at the end of a task, we might uh, have a discussion about it, um, or in some way address uh, strengths or areas of imp uh, of improvement in how that task was completed. Um, we do, you know, in some of the tasks, we can give written feedback. So for me, uh, you know, anytime I'm collating um, edits, a, a student has proofread a document, I've also proofread it and I'm collating those edits together, uh, that's a really easy time for me to keep a written running list of um, places where I see, you know, maybe repeated errors um, or issues that might need to be addressed. Um, and that might be in, you know, the actual proofreading and actual errors that are being found or how the document is being handled, how uh, marks are made on the page or in acro Acrobat. Um, so I can offer, you know, a, a full and pretty thorough list of, you know, direct feedback and discuss that with the student <clears throat> at the time. And it's also something that they can then reference in the future the next time they're, you know, working on proofreading or copy editing. They can draw on that list. Um, <clears throat> the most formal evaluative feedback that we offer are student evaluations twice a semester. So by the end of the uh, their time at the publications unit, they have four formal evaluations, um, at, always at the mid and the end of the semester. And here we fill out um, an electronic form. Um, it always addresses the same questions. 
Uh, and, and once we filled that out, we have a meeting with the students. So they have an opportunity to come in, uh, you know, complete kind of a self-evaluation of where they think they stand, how they uh, maybe see themselves in the context of the work that their peers are doing, um, where they would like to see improvements or what they'd like to focus on, you know, as the internship moves forward. Um, and we address issues like uh, uh, productivity, um, professional growth, um, collaboration, um, and we do try to help them kind of contextualize where they are um, with maybe what our expectations are or where they stand kind of among their peers. Uh, so we try to give them as many opportunities to, uh, you know, course correct um, if that's needed um, or to help them, you know, build their confidence and in that second semester really, you know, applaud them for taking, you know, more of a leadership uh, role among the other interns or graduate assistants. <clears throat> um, experience about the evaluative system or the feedback? Um, as nice as it is to run down the hall and say, hey, I don't know how to do this help on, you know, a small layout task or a tab indent or whatever it may be, um, and to get the feedback of you're doing this correctly or you're not, um, I really enjoyed the formal evaluations once a semester. Um, the self-reflection really allowed me to do a lot of that magnocognitive work that we don't often do when we're working. Um, so it was nice to sit and kind of explain everything that I was doing to Holmes and to myself, or to Steve and to myself. Um, but then to take that information and to see it in the bigger picture and realize what I wanted to work on next. Um, so they were very helpful. Um, and so, you know, throughout this whole process, uh, <clears throat> there's a couple of different goals, of course, that we have and that we're hoping to deliver to the students. Uh, the primary goal, of course, being <clears throat> developing confidence or mastery um, or the ability to replicate uh, a publishing task in another situation. Um, of course, you know, demonstrable proficiency with some of the technologies that we use over and over and over again, and then they, they might be able to, uh, they might expect to use um, in their careers later on. Um, demonstrable professional growth. Um, and we are also hoping that in that second semester, you know, they can show and exhibit um, and develop uh, leadership skills um, and some independence in, in uh, replicating these tasks. The secondary goal is to help them uh, cultivate or at least think um, about their own professional behaviors, their own um, developing, you know, non-student behaviors. Uh, because, you know, while, you know, they're students um, at the undergraduate or the master's level, um, and we are on a college campus, it's still a professional environment, and we're creating professional publications. Um, so we do, you know, work towards uh, and hope to help them develop, uh, you know, kind of non non-student behaviors that they can then um, continue to work on you know, throughout their careers. All right. Now that um, this was sort of the fun part for me of putting together the presentation is to think, you know, so much of our day is, is just plow forward and get the work done and make sure that students are learning something that, um, <clears throat> you know, getting to reflect a little bit on the challenges to the process was a very compelling uh, part of putting this together. So the number one challenge I think that we face uh, year in and year out is uh, matching production schedules for the various publications with the semester schedule. Um, you know, 
everything happens in publishing. Um, you know, deadlines often become very fluid, especially when we're working with other um, colleagues who also have uh, teaching and research loads and things like that, as well as being editors. Uh, but we also have, you know, students to answer to, and we want to make sure that there's uh, work for them to do, that the work is consistent from semester to semester, that they can actually have the uh, print object for their portfolio when they finish up. So that is the, uh, the top challenge, I would say. Um, it's also really complex to um, manage time for staff. Um, and that's, you know, thinking in advance about things that you don't know yet, which I guess is true of any kind of learning environment where we have a lot of variables with the students coming in. Um, having, you know, zero publishing experience to students with uh, publishing studies background who have um, fairly significant amount of experience coming in. And we have to be prepared to um, do the amount of education it takes to produce a professional publication regardless of the experience of the student assigned to the to work on those publications. Um, and then also, you know, just sort of like dispelling that mythos that interns are time savers. Um, that is just sim simply not the case. It takes a lot more investment, I think, to, to work with interns, especially if it's their first internship, um, to educate them. And I think that that is a myth that pervades literary publishing is that, well, we'll just get an intern to work on this. But it, um, to, do, to do justice to the uh, internship and to really be an educator for an intern or graduate assistant uh, requires a lot of time investment. And so you also have to uh, manage how much the workload can be for professional staff in order to make sure that that time for education is available. Uh, and that's a constant, constant battle for us. Um, maintaining high standards and a reputation for excellence while also um, working with professional staff who we expect to have time for mistake-making, experimentation, risk-taking, and things like that within the publication, and also being able to um, have that in a controlled environment where we can be pretty sure of what um, you know, the, the risks that they might take, the mistakes they might make, and being able to catch that so we're not doing harm um, to the work that we're uh, producing. Um, and, you know, and being, you know, having just two professional staff to be the sort of catch-alls for um, errors that might be introduced. Um, so working hard to catch errors in the moment uh, is something that, you know, we, we have to be fairly proficient at. And more than just knowing our own uh, setbacks and things that are catching points for us as um, publishing professionals. And then also managing relationships. You know, we sort of like sit in between um, the students that we're tasked to educate and then the editors that we're tasked to serve in these various ways. And that can often be uh, interesting. It can, it can be interesting to sit at that uh, fulcrum point between editors and students um, who have different expectations. You know, things that we've had to do with that respect is sometimes I have to um, have all my professional communication with certain editors, not mention that students work on the publications at all which is kind of a weird thing to do. Um, but it just works better if I just say I'm doing all the work. And they know students are working on it, but I never say that a specific thing is done by a student. Uh, there's also a possibility that a student would be in a particular editor's class and you know things of that nature. Um, yeah, so those are, those are just some of the challenges that we face. Um, and there are, there are others as well. But it's not, you know, we, we, I don't want to make it seem like we're complete experts up here. So we do face a lot of difficulties. And I, I want to say, you know, in closing, that these are not trade secrets. I know that we've, you know, breezed through a presentation um, talking about a learning model. But uh, we do have lots of instruments, um, evaluation forms, and things like that uh, for a number of different areas. And we're always available to consult. So some of the contact information is up on the screen. Um, so I'll leave that up for just a few seconds.
So you can take that down and perhaps put it back up later so we can transition over to the pub lab. I'll say good morning while he's getting that set up. Hi, everyone. I'm Beth Staples. I'm the assistant director of the publishing laboratory um, at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And I'm pinch hitting this morning for Emily Louise Smith, who has laryngitis in the front row. So she starts like waving her hands madly. It's because I'm screwing something up. But I'm <laughs> working from her notes, and I'm um, going to try to do her proud. Um, she should be up here because she's the visionary behind a lot of these, um, a lot of the, the press, the magazine that I'm going to talk about, and the lab and its curriculum. So I just want to make sure she's getting the, the credit she deserves um, in the front row. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the publishing laboratory first, and then talk about Ecotone, our literary magazine, and Lookout Books, our imprint. We've got some action shots, so you can just sort of like Follow. I didn't know I was going to be in a lot of them, um, so there's a lot of me happening. Um, but Emily's first note here is that she's often asked how she built a small press overnight, because I think it might seem that way from the outside. Um, but she always laughs because the publishing laboratory was in operation for four years before Ecotone existed, and then Ecotone was in operation for another four years before Lookout Books existed. So I'm just going to go through that history just a little bit. Um, the publishing laboratory was founded in 2001 um, to give students insider knowledge of the publishing industry. So the idea was to peel back the curtain, let them see what the acquisition process looked like, the editing process, um, the design process, the production process, and the marketing process. So like how a book goes from being a manuscript to going out into the world, all of those stages. Um, we, were, we are a Mac laboratory. I don't know, if, we're not switching yet maybe, I don't think. Yeah, you can see the students at the computers. Um, we have 16 Mac computers, and then we have uh, some binder equipment. So the top left-hand corner, we have a perfect binder where students can actually make books in the lab. Um, and also a guillotine trimmer, so a, a trimmer with a giant blade that we've never lost the hand, not even a finger. Um, so we're very careful with the equipment, but the, uh, students in some of our classes actually make books using that equipment. Um, the existence of the lab led to our first books under what, what was a, an imprint called the Publishing Lab imprint. And those are mostly local, books by local writers or um, people with some affiliation to the university. Uh, we do have, we have one book uh, called Show and Tell, which are, um, it's going to be at the bottom of the pile. Um, here it is. Uh, our, our faculty uses it um, in their creative writing classes, the intro to creative writing classes. So this is one of the first books that was made in the lab. And it's an essay from everyone who works in our department. Um, and so everyone who goes through creative writing uses it. We don't actually produce this, of course, in the lab. But it was initially created, the design, in the lab. I think this is now the sixth edition of it. Um, in 2005, thank you. Um, AWP made a site visit and said it would be great if we could have a literary journal, that the best MFA programs in the country had a literary journal. So that was a good incentive to start one. Um, and David Gessner, who's currently our department chair, founded Ecotone then in 2005. Um, and we had a lot of editorial success early on. You know, republications in the O. Henry, Best American Series, uh, the Pushcart Prize, etc. Um, so we were, we were doing pretty well with Ecotone editorially. And then in 2009, Emily co-founded Lookout Books. And the idea was we had this strong editorial background with Ecotone, and we had you know these capabilities to teach students design, um, marketing, production, all these things, that we could marry those two things in a literary press. Um, and what Emily and other faculty discovered was that when students had real literary projects to work on, that they learned faster. Um, it was just a more exciting place to be um, overall. 
Um, Ecotone is connected to Lookout Books, um, but each of them have their own missions. We find writers to publish through Lookout, um, for Lookout through Ecotone. Um, let's see, so uh, the first book was published in 2011. It was Binocular Vision. I'll like hate. I'm going to let my assistant <laughs> hold the books up. Um, Binocular Vision by Edith Perlman, which is a new and selected story collection, and it had an incredible amount of success. Um, it was it won the National Book Critics Circle Award. It was a finalist for the National Book Award um, Story Prize. Um, so, and it was on the cover of the New York Times Book Review, which I think had never happened before with a debut a, a debut book from a press. So it sort of like shot us into the national spotlight um, pretty quickly, which was exciting. The next book we did was uh, a story collection by Steve Almond, um, which won the Patterson Prize. So, so our book started winning awards, which was not only exciting for the faculty, but of course exciting for the students who got to work on the books. Um, and helped students, of course, like as they were leaving the program, get better jobs, right? So the books that they have on their resumes, um, you know, that are getting national attention, that was helpful as they entered the, the publishing marketplace. Um, so we have a, a suite of traditional classes in the publishing arts that became part of the curriculum. Uh, we have a BFA for undergrads, a certificate in publishing. It's a suite of five courses, um, and it starts, all, it starts with an intro to publishing course, a sort of overview of the book industry. Um, the next course they take is an editing for publication course, which is kind of like a grammar boot camp course. We have a course called book building, which we offer at the undergraduate and the graduate level, where students basically learn page layout, graphic design, typography, and they actually get to make a book of their own work on those machines. Um, we have special topics in publishing, and we've offered copy editing, developmental editing, um, issues of diversity in publishing, all sorts of sort of rotating topics. And then the final course for undergrads is a capstone course where they actually make a book of all the graduating students' work that year. So they apply sort of all of the things that they learned in their foundational courses in a practicum course where they, they make a book. Um, and then at the graduate level, I mentioned we have book building course. We also have a course called The Business of Being a Writer where students get to learn sort of how to write a book proposal, how to work with an agent, how to find an agent. Um, and then we have two practicum courses for the graduate students, one associated with Ecotone and one associated with Lookout Books. So those are, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but they're overseen by, by faculty members. There are three of us that are full-time publishing faculty. Um, so Kate and Meg are going to talk more also about what it's like to be in those courses. Uh, but I want to take a few minutes and talk about, um, or Emily wanted me to talk about why we've been successful as a press and how it's tied to our teaching mission with the MFA program. And I think one of the first things is that there is foundational coursework. So no one's sort of thrown into uh, working with the press or the magazine without some kind of foundational coursework. So that book building course is required for anyone who wants to take Lookout and for the students who, the undergrad students who eventually make a book, they all, they all take this course. So we begin with the principles of graphic design, um, an emphasis on how to create a book, page layout, typography, margins, all those little details that maybe you don't think about when you're reading a book. Uh, and then they progress toward increasingly complex assignments until they actually make a book. Um, and then those editorial special topics courses that I mentioned, so the copy editing course, um, working as an editor, business of being a writer, et cetera, where we sort of give them foundations about 
how agents work, how book proposals work, um, a lot of that business end of things, how the publishing industry is structured, et cetera. Um, similarly to my friends over here, faculty oversight is important to everything. So this is not a student, these are not student-run publications. Um, faculty is working closely with the students at every step of the process. Um, and I think you said something like you're, you know, you're accountable to readers, you're accountable to um, editors, and you know, anyone who encounters the book or the magazine, I think we all feel, all the faculty feels really strongly about that. Um, we want to give students the freedom to, you know, explore things and learn new things, um, but everything, there's oversight involved in everything, so the faculty is working really closely with students. Um, and then I mentioned those two practicum courses. So they meet once a, once a week for three hours, um, and I'll let, I'll let the students talk a little bit about that. But a, a couple other important things, that our projects aren't just, I didn't move the slideshow forward at all at any point, and I probably wasn't supposed to do that. Okay, so those are more action shots in the pub lab. Here are some of our books. Um, gosh, sorry guys. Um, so there's, there's yeah, there, that's all of um, Lookout Books books, so binocular vision up in the corner, and then our most recent title in the bottom right, we show what we have learned by Claire Beams, which is a story collection. Um, is currently a finalist for the Penn Robert Bingham Prize. Um, maybe you can go forward from there. There's Ecotone covers. We're at tables 400 and 401, if you want to stop by. Um, yeah, Ecotone covers. Let's see, just catching up to myself. Yeah, go forward. Do you want to talk about that one? Maybe I'll let you. That is, um, yeah, we can we can cycle back to that one. Maybe I'll let Kate talk about that. Oh, website creation. Yeah, maybe. I'll, okay. Um, <laughs> let's go back a slide. I'm sorry, um, Emily. I'm sorry, Emily. <laughs> um, okay. So a few other notes. Um, our projects aren't just simulations. So students are exposed to the full range of work for every magazine publication and book publication. So what, we're, what you're seeing here in the back slide, I'm testing Steve's patience, um, <laughs> was these are media kits for Claire Beam's book. Um, so, you know, it's hard to get the attention of the media, of course. They're getting copies of books, hundreds of copies of books in the mail. So in the Lookout Practicum, you know, under Emily's supervision, the students kind of brainstormed ideas for the kits. Um, so the idea was, you know, if you're working at Oprah or you're working at Vogue or something and you get one of these kits, it would be memorable. You'd, you know, be more inclined to, to say something about the book. And it actually worked. Um, the book appeared in Oprah's, it was 10 books you should read in November. Um, so that was like a huge success. Um, but the kits, uh, the students had this idea there would be a, like a little gift. It's a story collection, so they chose like a gift that applied to the different stories. So there are like three objects, and there are some bath salts, an air plant, that's and it's some some tea. Um, and then those all made sense with the stories. But they were <laughs> gifts, of course. We were buttering up the media. But it was, you know, like Emily would talk with the students about marketing. The students came with ideas. But again, that both that collaboration, oversight, giving the students a chance to sort of come up with ideas, but still overseeing how they're executed. Um, so those are some images of that. And then the next slide is a picture of um, Matthew Neil Knoll's website. He's a novel that came out before our current story collection. And that was, again, um, designed and worked on by a student, but with Emily's oversight. So, um, you know, all of those, the students were involved in all of those little pieces, not just until there's a book, but but after, afterwards, trying to get the word out into the world. 
Um, so Emily, I have a note here from her. Her goal, especially in the practicum, is to focus on shared discovery. So she tries to grant the students enough autonomy to ignite their sense of leadership and responsibility, um, even allowing them to make mistakes. I think we were all really nodding when you were going through your challenges. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you know that they're going to make mistakes, and in some way you want them to. But at the same time, you know, being responsible for the final outcome. Um, so she's always guiding, we're always guiding the students' steps. Um, also, modeling, I think, is a huge part of what faculty do in those practicum classes. So, um, you know, you guys talked a lot about how do you develop, you're teaching the students to be professionals when they leave the room, and I think a lot of the way you do that is you show them how to be professionals. You know, so we're doing a lot of modeling for the students, commitment, hard work, um, you know, and you expect that level of commitment from the students. So you, in some ways, treat them like employees as much as students, so there's sort of that balance. Um, and then I love this quote from Emily. I'm teaching to carry into the world beyond our hallways an appreciation for intelligent editing and imaginative design, an unflagging belief that books enlarge our sympathies. So again, it's that combination of teaching things and modeling those things for the students. Um, what do students do in the practicums? Um, they read manuscripts for Lookout and Ecotone. They spend a lot of time um, reading submissions. Uh, they, we have a process that we call top editing, and what that means is no student is ever responsible for the complete developmental editing of a manuscript, but they will sometimes look over the shoulder of an editor, um, or an editor will look, they'll, they'll be allowed to put some comments on a story or an essay or a poem, and the editor will come back and look over them. So there's a collaborative editing relationship that sometimes happens um, for Ecotone students. Um, and then, especially with Lookout, um, Emily's often teaching them basic life and business skills. So the fact that publishing isn't just, it isn't just about the art, right? It, of course that's important, but that there's budgeting that goes into it. Our students learn what profit and loss sheets look like. Um, you know, uh, how advances work, how bids work when we send them out to the printer, um, determining the cost of how to run a promotion. So they sort of let in behind the scenes of all those kind of business decisions as well. And then I was really nodding when you were saying how do you sort of sync the semester schedule <laughs> with a, a production schedule. Production schedules are of course so important. Um, so, you know, teaching students about deadlines, how to create a production schedule, how to follow a production schedule, etc. And we believe, you know, if students go on to publishing, that's really valuable. But those, you know, if they go on even just to publish a book of their own work, that, that knowledge can be helpful. So they're getting to see that process um, should they see it from the side of the writer as well. Um, maybe I'll turn it over to you two to talk for a little bit. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to let Kate. Um, Kate is currently an MFA student in the program, and she's uh, Lookout's publication assistant, so she works closely with Emily and all sorts of things, and then Meg is an alumni, so I'm just going to let them talk about their experience. Thank you, Beth. Um, yeah, so I'll just talk like kind of briefly about my trajectory through the publishing program at UNCW. Um, I had really been interested uh, for a long time before I came to the MFA program in where books came from and had a little design experience but had really kind of no outlet with which to use those um, ideas and, and interests. Um, so the first thing I did when I got to UNCW was sign up for book building, um, which I think was exactly what I was looking for, a way to sort of put um, design interest and the idea about you know creating a book, especially if my own work, which was really exciting. Um, and that class really gave me some understanding of how the skills I learned in that class could relate to publishing and got me interested in the idea of publishing as a career. So right after that, the next semester, 
um, my first year as an MFA student, I signed up for practicums at Ecotone and Lookout at the same time. It was a lot of work, but I really enjoyed doing it. Um, it was worth it, I think, to take them both at the same time, especially because Ecotone um, authors end up, you know, always end up becoming uh, Lookout uh, writers at some point, maybe. Um, so I only took the Ecotone class once, but it was a really invaluable experience for me, specifically as a writer, to see the sort of behind the scenes of how a journal works. Um, it made me a lot more confident in submitting my work to own journals, to, like to other, my own work to other journals, um, having seen how to put together an issue from beginning to end. What does the run order look like? Um, if we have a sort of long, more academic piece, do we follow it with something kind of short and lyrical? Um, does poetry need to come after fiction or nonfiction or vice versa? Um, like, what does a cover letter look like? All of that stuff was really useful to me as a writer, specifically. Um, and that was uh, definitely really helpful. It also got me thinking about um, what an ecotone piece looks like, which translates eventually into what does a lookout book look like. Um, so I also joined Lookout that same semester uh, at the tail end of design and editorial work for Matt Knoll's Honey from the Lion. Um, I worked mostly in marketing and publicity uh, for the anticipation of that book's release in fall 2015, which speaking of production schedules and how to line up a production schedule with um, a class schedule, we always have this awkward thing in fall where um, our, our class meets on, Lookout class meets on Monday. And uh, Labor Day is always on this like awkward Monday where we miss a class and that year Matt's book came out the day after so we hadn't we didn't have class Matt's book came out and then we came back and we're trying to do all of this like cover work to make sure that we had done all the publicity we needed to do um, which is a strange week because usually we have class to sort of um, brief on what the week is going to look like and we miss class that week um, so I worked closely with Emily and other students in planning Matt's tour and by the end of that semester, I think I definitely caught the bug. And I wanted to see that tour through and helped build buzz and staff events. So I kept taking the class. Um, they recommend that we take it twice. And I think that that's definitely true. And then I just kind of kept doing it because I got really excited about it. Um, so while we, while we wrapped up the Honey from the Lion tour, I was also working on the interior design with another student for We Show What We Have Learned, which is our most recent title. And I really fell in love with that collection. And it kind of just kept going. Um, and then I was really fortunate to be hired as Lookout Books' uh, first publishing assistant. It's a new graduate assistantship that's uh, a 20 hour a week position and I work pretty closely with Emily um, and supporting the class in a lot of ways, um, which I think has been really helpful to the program and um, I'm excited to sort of like bring that position to life. It's been really fun. Um, and I definitely a more in-depth look at, at um, the behind behind the scenes of publishing, which has been great. Um, Beth mentioned the kits that we put together for Claire um, last year, which was uh, which I'll, I'll also talk a little bit about because I think it was one of the more exciting things that I've done with Lookout. Um, we spent a lot of time brainstorming the creative sort of fun ideas that would grab a reader's attention, um, reading through stories and deciding um, which ones had strong enough images that we could create a sort of giveaway um, to connect a reader to the book, but also once they got into the book, you know, then realized that this book is worth reviewing, kind of regardless of what goodies we put in this kit. Um, we had a lot of fun. Uh, Joyce Carol Oates uh, claimed, proclaimed this book as a female feminist voice for the 21st century, which is a ringing endorsement if I've ever heard one. And um, we decided to spray paint that on the front of the box, which I don't know if you can see on that slide because I think I just have it open. Um, but um, we like made a stencil for it and spray painted it. Um, and we did a lot of um, brainstorming of how best to get that project to work out. But we also had to learn how to do it on a teaching press budget 
Um, and it worked. We, I think we did a great job. I think it, um, it ended up being what we envisioned, um, you know, sending out into the world. And the, the great thing about it was that it worked. Um, I think the, the, seeing the, the Oprah review in the magazine, which is the first for Lookout, was really exciting. Um, we also that year ran a targeted promotion for booksellers. Um, Lookout Books has a lot of great relationships with um, southern indie booksellers in North Carolina and sort of around the south. Um, so I designed a chapbook featuring the title, show, title story of We Show What We Have Learned. Um, and then the marketing team sent it out to about 30, I think, yes, 30 independent booksellers. And in both cases, we asked the recipients of each kit to um, post on social media and let us know what they thought. And people did it, which is exciting. Parnassus Books uh, ended up being a, a pretty staunch champion of the book, which is exciting. Um, and seeing our projects talked about in the literary publishing world felt really good. Um, and I think that's what I like the most about Lookout, is that it feels less like a class sometimes and more like an internship. Um, and that our work has real-world consequence and merit. Um, and then this is the second page I have. <laughs> I get to see what works and what doesn't work by seeing if it really works. Um, I mean, we can plan a great event, but if we don't pitch local publications in time to cover the event, the less people show up, and then we learn from that and try to get the pitch, um, the pitch dates out earlier. Um, the level of accountability in turning in work with real-world merit in the publishing world um, has been a really great motivator for me, and I know that it will benefit me in looking for jobs when I graduate in May. Um, and a number of our students in the program have gone on to careers in different facets of publishing, and Meg is one of those people, so I might, I might turn it over to you. That's, let's see if we can actually make these books and then. There we go. <laughs> um, I'm just going to talk for a couple minutes. Uh, very, very, actually, we'll only talk for a few minutes. Um, the, uh, my name is Meg Reed. I'm the, the Deputy Director of Hub City Press in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Um, we're lo located at Booth 254. Um, and uh, we've been around for 20 years. Uh, I say we. I've been there for five, four. Um, but uh, I graduated from UNCW of my MFA in nonfiction in 2012, which is five years ago. Uh, I just realized. Um, so I basically came in. I'm realizing that kind of the notes I have are, are covered by you guys really well about um, what I did there. But what is interesting to me watching this is that I came into the program in 2009, and I was hearing rumblings about Lookout starting in 2010 because I was in Ecotone. And I think, so I was there right when it started, and so there was no groundwork really for how a student was going to experience it. It was, this is what we're going to do, it's really exciting, and the students are going to get a lot from it, but there wasn't like, you know, it wasn't all in place yet. So, and I realize that now looking back, because um, Kate, your experience is kind of similar to mine, and I think that um, I came in in the uh, fall of 2010, and I graduated in the spring of 2012, and I worked through the summers. So basically, I worked for Emily from like October of 2010 until um, June, July of 2012. So we're not talking about two semester long it was, it was you know, years, essentially. And I did that sort of electively, because what I figured out once I took publishing classes, I thought, I don't want to take uh, writing electives anymore. This is what I want to do. So I would kind of talk to the, you know, registrar, and they're like, you can't get credit for this anymore. And I'm like, 
That's okay because this is more important than the credit that you know um, I don't I don't need. So I just made sure that I could you know graduate at the end. Um, but that was you know a huge discovery for me. That um, and the reason that that happened was because I came in the day I started in Lookout was the day that Edith Perlman's Binocular Vision came out and was on the cover of the New York Times Book Review. So. It was very weird because we walked in and I thought, I don't know what to expect out of this publishing practicum. And Emily kind of sat down at the table and said, well, we're out of books. We'd already sold out the print run like in a day. Um, and so talk about, you know, trial by fire. We, I'm not going to say we knew entirely what we were doing, but we figured it out really, really quickly. And it was, it was an intense... And it's like once you have that experience, you kind of chase it for the rest of your life. You know, you want that high of getting those national um, press hits and everything. Um, so that was really formative for me. And, and, and like you said, you get invested in the next book. And so you're like, well, I guess I'll just take it again in the fall because I want to see this through, you know. Um, and that's the investment and the accountability is just in, is incredible. Um, so I graduated and I was looking for a job. And um, Emily told me about Hub City where she had worked. Um, and she was a writer in residence years earlier and uh and when i applied for the job i felt like you know for the first time in my life i wasn't uh bsing a cover letter or you know uh fluffing things up it was like i have actually done this you know um people say oh i worked for a literary journal you know they read the, the slush pile or they kind of you know helped out and um i had these real life sort of i actually did this partially like one experience that rings it comes immediately to mind was in the spring of 2012, my last semester, I had started in publicity and marketing and all that kind of thing and then worked on design. And by the end of my time with Lookout, I was looking on much more macro things like grant writing, uh, signature event planning, um, development, that kind of thing, uh, which I didn't realize those were those things. They were just tasks that I was interested, projects that I was interested in. And um, Edith Perlman was nominated for the National Book Critics Circle and the Story Prize. And so Emily was in New York a lot for these things that she had to be at. And I was also working for Ecotown at the time. And the um, presentation at the NBCC landed on the same weekend as Ecotown was due to the printer. And so um, the Lookout interns, the Ecotown interns, and the PubLab TAs all got together and put this issue to bed. Um, and sent it to the, which it meant I was calling the printer, asking questions I didn't understand and getting answers that I didn't understand. And I at least <laughs> cost you guys at least $150 in color page changes, and I feel bad about that. But I think it was pretty good considering there were, I think, only two mistakes. But, I mean, we were there until 2 in the morning, and we didn't even have supervisors. It was the first time we were released on our own, and we were like, oh, my God, how does anybody ever submit anything to a printer? Like, we were terrified, you know? But what that meant was when I got to Hub City and I was, I'm a one-person department, art department, um, I produce and I design and produce the, the titles. We do, like I said, five to eight. Um, I could confidently call a printer and say, you know, hey, on this quote, you, have, you don't have my gatefold cover. Where's my gatefold? I want three and a quarter inch flaps or whatever. Um, I had that confidence and, and that ability because I'd actually done it in, in my MFA. Um, so it's... That's, I think, the, the major thing is just creating professionals, creating grown-ups coming out of MFAs that can carry, comport themselves and carry themselves and say, I work for this and this is the ethos of my publishing company and this is why it's important. And I think um, somebody in, in the MFA program once said, you know, all the PubLab 
people are just so like certain, you know, of what they do and why they do it. And, um, and they've, a lot of them have been able to really walk into, especially jobs in nonprofits too. Um, that's the other side. If you can't, don't end up in publishing. I, we run a nonprofit organization. A lot of this is also really applicable to um, nonprofits. So, um, yeah, I think that I'm, I'm trying to go really quickly here. So, um, it's the most powerful lesson to me is that in literary publishing, especially small press publishing, you have to wear a lot of hats. We don't have sales directors. We don't have a publicist dedicated. So learning to wear a lot of hats and try a lot of things is like the best real life experience that you can get because that's how things work in non-New York, um, you know, small press publishing. Um, and then the students have skills that they can take into the marketplace and um, apply the jobs, whether they're, that's in publishing or um, pretty much any career. I've seen that, you know. If, um, you know, it's a pub lab, which I love because I think it does have that element of a place where you experiment and you try things and um, make discoveries. And if I hadn't made the discovery that that's what I wanted to do, then I would absolutely not be sitting here in a career that, you know, I adore and makes me happy every single day of my life. So, um, and I think that's the best part, is that the graduates are um, literary citizens. They are, um, they understand the value of the work, of, of what books mean, um, both the craft and the industry of making them. And that's just an incredible thing that's been, that's been built over the last five years. So, I'm going to stop. <laughs> that's all I have. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the MA program, um, the students that are assigned to us are creative writing. So they're either um, doing poetry or prose fiction or prose nonfiction. So they come out of the block of courses or the program of the block of courses or some course work that has It's a, just a graduate assistantship. And the, they're assigned to the assistantship, um, the creative writing faculty in our department and the graduate committee assigns them to us. So sometimes they don't even know that they're going to be doing a publishing-related thing. So sometimes we have to do some selling. <laughs> and it's going to be worth their time to do it. And our students are MFAs, so they're, they're getting a traditional MFA. They're doing all their coursework in fiction or poetry or creative nonfiction. Um, but the, and some of them are assistantships as well. So some of them are they're paid to work in the publishing laboratory or for Ecotone um, or for Lookout. Um, but a lot of them are just elective courses, so that practicum, yeah. have any assistantship. Uh, nothing involved as probably the most long-term lookout person that was never paid for any of it. Um, but that's, I mean, I have a lot of criticisms about the publishing industry and how, how internships work because of the level of privilege and everything that's required for getting into like New York in, um, internships. So I actually think that an MFA program is kind of like a really great safe space to do that in. If you can get paid, that's also great. Um, but I did it because you know, I was already there, and I was in this learning experience, so I could build um, my internship into it. And um, in a time where, like, if you're getting an MFA, you know, it's not like you're walking out and being like, okay, there are my five job suitors lined up. They're all going to give me jobs. Um, I will say that I think Emily has the best 
rate of, of jobs post-graduation of the entire MFA program. All of my cohort that we're in lookout at the same time as me have jobs, universities. A lot of them have started their own little small press things because, you know, they, they can. They feel empowered to do that. Um, and I think a lot of that just comes from, like I said, the professional development and the being able to write the cover letters like you guys were talking about and being able to just, um, you know, be a, a super professional sort of person. And so for me, that made an MFA a lot more worth it, honestly. Like the idea of doing an MFA without that would be, is, is, I look back, I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking, you know? <laughs> Not necessarily, but you know, it is, it's added, uh, added, I, I always tell people if they, if they email me and say, oh, I'm going to go to UNCW, should I take a pub, pub lab course? I'm like, take one. See if you like it, because if you don't like it, you have not wasted any time. And if you do, you're going to be a better writer and a better literary citizen and professional when you come out of it. Even though we're, you know, we're in the publishing mecca that is Bloomington Normal, Illinois, we still have a pretty good uh, placement rate. I, one of the ways that I think we achieve that um, is just by teaching a mentality to think locally about publishing rather than um, you know, transitioning to a New York publishing house. And I think some of the affiliation models that we have are really lend themselves to that kind of thinking. Um, we do have, you know, Publications that have, like SRPR, that has a pretty um, complete affiliation where we're doing a lot of the production work, but then we also have these freelance models, and so those allow for uh, teaching about how to become a freelancer. So if you want to do freelance work, and the field of publishing now, you know, I feel like um, publishing is everywhere. You just have to look for it. You know, any uh, organization that produces content needs someone with publishing skills, and so we have a pretty great uh, placement rate by using that mentality. Um, thinking locally, so we place people at um, <clears throat> U of I, like U of I Press, um, publishing companies in Chicago that are you know lesser known, like Publications International Limited or um, Sourcebooks, which are a couple places that we placed people recently. Um, McGraw Hill Education. Um, so I mean, we we do have a really good track record for placing people in publishing, despite not being in uh, you know what many would consider a publishing uh, center. And a lot, I think, a lot of it has to do with just. Um, the mentorship that we do. I mean, when students come to us, um, Holmes and I get pretty invested in mentoring them, especially the interns, because they apply and we hire them. So it's sort of like saying, you know, we're invested in you from uh, day one. So whatever they say that it is that they want to do, you know, it doesn't, when their internship or assistantship ends, it doesn't really end for, for us. So we're continuing to do the mentoring role, the um, job mentoring part of it. Uh, working with job documents and making sure that all that is, uh, you know, taking place and is improved upon because that reflects well on us as well. Um, other questions? Um, 
Yeah, this is where Emily would be because she was there on the ground floor. I've been there for five years. But I, at this point, it is such a selling point for our MFA program. So I feel like it, it is supported by the university because it helps us recruit students. It's given us a national platform, national standing for our MFA program. So the university does value it, which is which is really nice. I think I don't know how many TAs we started with initially, but I know we've gotten a new pub lab TA. So we are six funded students who work in the publishing lab. And they do do work for our department as well. So when we have visiting writers come through, they're helping design posters and broadsides. So so they, they do support the department in, in other ways, not just the publications, but they're learning design skills that way, too. So, yeah, we're lucky. Uh, this is a like, really complicated question. Um, you know, I've, we had a facilities move. We moved from um, sort of like a... I don't want to say rundown, an older building on campus <laughs> where we're in uh, like converted classrooms that were meant for like elementary school students to a, a nicer, more professional facility. And actually that move has been, it moved us closer to where the Department of English is located, which was important. And it also gave us like a standalone building. So we became, um, you know, part of the tour for any kind of important person that would, um, <clears throat> come through the College of Arts and Sciences, so they're going to like chemistry labs, publications unit. And so like, it, it really uh, did a lot of like internal promotions and marketing that has garnered a lot more support for the publications unit. In the past, you know, the, the term like hidden gem or nobody knows about how great this uh, organization is. So a lot of like internal marketing at the university has garnered support. But you know, by the same token, I feel like sometimes the, the university and the college are more appreciative than perhaps even the, our own department is sometimes. Uh, we do have to play that battle a little bit in our department where um, the department is English studies, so it's acknowledging that English is multidisciplinary um, and definitely like um, historical theoretical parts of English get prized over publishing, which is looked at as vocational or looked down upon as vocational sometimes. So we're also constantly making the argument that publishing is not just vocational and that there's a lot of like high level thinking and uh, you know pedagogical theory and other kinds of theory that inform all of our choices, um, you know, especially within our own department. Um, so it does it does get a little bit uh, complicated in that respect. And then of course we're in the wonderful state of Illinois, which can't decide um, if it wants to even fund higher education at all. So that, you know that comes into play. Um, since we're in the English department, you know, we're, right now we're the only um, unit within the English department. So I always compare it to like the thumb that's sticking off the English department. So that you know de definitely gives me a lot of fear. But I feel like the work that we're doing and the educational benefit that we can prove to the students, um, you know, makes a lot of the case for our you know existence and continuing existence for us. So, but it's it's complicated and it's an ongoing battle. We got a, a new provost that's going to be hired soon. So there's going to be you know, there's always that next um, administrator that you're going to have to, you know, prove your worth to uh, over and over again. I should add that Lookout doesn't get funding from the university, right? The budget is completely separate. So for the press itself, itself it has to be self-sustaining. So again, why all that marketing, promotion, budgeting stuff is so important and to pass that along to the students. Yeah. And I should also say our most of our publications are separate entities from us. So we're, our budget is completely tied in with the English department. Um, and we don't really have um, much of a budget um, of our own except for doing uh, things like promotional events and things like that. Um, and the publications that we work with um, under the service model, 
they are really separate organizations that are self-sustaining, with the exception of Obsidian. Obsidian is an ISU. It's under the umbrella of ISU. Um, so ISU, you know, holds the copyright for Obsidian, and that's new. It used to be that we were doing service for faculty who were editing um, or service for affiliated publications. That's like the older model, and I think like the Obsidian model, um, you know, if we have any, you know, lineup changes or things that we add, it's going to be that way. But, you know, um, most of the publications have like a separate um, business operation that's uh, apart from the publications unit, which is a little bit different from your model. It's about time to wrap up, but you know, if you have questions, we'd love to get in touch with you via email or through the website. So please don't hesitate to contact us. And thank you for your attention today. Thank you for listening to the AWP podcast series. For other podcasts, please feel free to visit our website at www.awpwriter.org.